Good morning. Hello, Hess. Great to see you all here. I wondered whether I was in the right church this morning. I walked around there and there's all these strange but happy faces. Welcome. And welcome to any others who might be visiting today. Um, it's a great and a blessed time, Easter, spending time together with family, eating lots of chocolate, Guesty. No? <laughs> I haven't started yet. So as Tim just said, and thank you guys for your leading, Tim just said um, this event that happened 2,023 years ago was an amazing event. It changed history forever, as Tim mentioned. What are some, some wide world events that you can think of that has changed history forever? What impact have they had um, across the globe? I'm sure we can think of plenty. Who was that around during the French Revolution? Arthur, were you around then? <laughs> 1789, 1794-9. <laughs> the French Revolution that led to a total transformation of social structures in every country across the globe. Then in the 1760s in Britain, there was the Industrial Revolution, which was a mechanisation of manufacturing processes and... Um, it spread to the US and Europe, amazing changes and rapid growth in production and efficiency across the world. Lower prices and more goods were available. World War I came along after the assassination of... Um, I'll put my glasses on, that'll help. He's here somewhere. Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria in 1914, and that resulted in 15 to 22 million deaths. World War II, 1939 to 45, over 30 nations were involved in that war. 70 to 85 million people are estimated to have perished. That's both military and civilian deaths including from war-related disease and famine. Life-changing events across the world. And it was during this time that the mechanics and groundwork was done for the laptop computer that you have today. Who can tell me what the name of the first electronic computer was called? Anybody? <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Ethel? Apple. No, it wasn't Apple. Anyway, um, it was fairly large. It was called Colossus. And it was, um, it was, the, um, it was invented by guys and women who were um, code breakers during the British... Uh, in Britain during World War II and it was used to break the codes of the Nazis 
so that and actually help to win the war. Um, so your little laptop, that was the beginning of that. July the 21st, 1969, what happened then? Exactly. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin stepped onto the moon. And who could forget on September 25, 1993, the Essendon Baby Bombers <laughs> taking out the grand final in the BFL? World-changing event, Guesty. Then in September 11, we can all remember that, 2001. We'll never forget the horrifying and dreadful news and the images of a terrorist attack on the World Trade Centre in New York where 2,996 people lost their lives. And now, just lately, we've had the COVID-19 pandemic across the world, wide world, all these events which have shaped the world have made huge and long-lasting impacts, haven't they? And we could go on. There are many, many more we can think of. But there's none, none like the one we're remembering and celebrating today. None of them come close to this event which happened 2,023 years ago. Millions upon millions upon millions of people all across the globe stop at this time of year and enjoy and thankfulness celebrate and worship the King of Kings. Isn't that amazing? Right across the globe, we're all celebrating this event that happened. Let me read to you from Matthew 27, 45. We're reading from verse 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom the earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Jesus had been nailed to the cross and then for three hours, darkness had hovered over the land. The sun was gone. It was black, pitch black. The light of the world was being snuffed out. Matthew, Mark and Luke, along with 
these other historians, Thales, Phlegon, Africanus and Tertullian, each recorded this time of darkness in history. And just as a by the, by the way, some historians claim that it was a solar eclipse. However, it was Passover time. And those who understand Passover, Passover is always during the full moon. It's while the sun and the moon are diametrically opposed. So it was no eclipse. And also an eclipse has nothing in common with an earthquake, a violent earthquake. A solar eclipse at Passover time was scientifically impossible. Just by the way. As well as that, a solar eclipse is only this long, isn't it? A few, few minutes, not for three hours. The earth shook and rocks split open. Graves were open and the Bible tells us that some people were raised from death to life. By now, those who were there witnessing this event, I would have had a million questions, wouldn't I? Here was Jesus hanging on the cross, total darkness for three hours, earthquakes, rocks splitting open. Can you even begin to imagine it? Most likely the big question was, so who is this man? What is going on? Who is this hanging on the cross? What is actually happening? In verse 54, it says, When the centurion and those who were with him were guarding Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. The Roman centurion, you don't, you don't get to be in charge of a hundred soldiers unless you're a hardened, tough, no-nonsense campaigner, someone who has seen serious action and has good control over his motions and his actions. He'd witnessed nothing like this before to, to the point that he and those under his command the Bible says they were terrified. They were terrified and they cried out, surely, surely this man was the son of God. The Bible goes on to say, many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary, Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Jose, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And Luke 8 tells us a little bit more about these ladies. In Luke 8, 2 to 3, it says, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve, that's the disciples, were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been cast out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. 
These were the women who loved Jesus and chose to follow him, who loved to sit at his feet and learn, who relished his teaching and marveled at his wisdom and his miracles. They fussed over him and also the disciples, providing meals and possibly organising accommodation as they travelled. Here they were, the meek, the humble, quietly watching from a distance. The forgiven, the healed, some who were once broken-hearted are now broken-hearted once again. In deep sorrow, pain and despair, they watch on as their hero. This very wise, amazing young man of only 33 years submits himself to death. Before the arrogant and self-righteous religious leaders, before the tyranny of the Roman government, he's shown such power, such wisdom and authority Why does he now submit so easily? Couldn't he have called a halt to all this? And their questions, what is actually happening? Why has it gone so dark? And the whole earth is shaking. We thought we knew who he was. We thought we know who he is. So why? Why is all this happening? As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, and he wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and he placed it in his own tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Luke 23 tells us a little more about this. And it says, Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a council of 71 rabbis, wealthy and highly influential men. It was headed up by the high priest. The Sanhedrin had jurisdiction over all religious, civil and criminal matters. They had their own police force and it was the Sanhedrin who had condemned Jesus to death. So on that particular evening, Joseph, along with another guy, Nicodemus, and it talks about Nicodemus in John chapter 19. He was another member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus was one who secretly went to Jesus that night with questions. And they both said, they both said, that's it. 
That's it. Today we make a stand. It's time. No more hiding. They were members of the Sanhedrin. How could they be supporters of Jesus? They said, no more hiding. That's it. So despite their position and the surety that they would be found out, they went to Pilate, boldly went to Pilate, and they asked for Jesus' body. What more could they do but give Jesus a decent burial? Joseph placed him in his own unused tomb, wrapping his body in linen, his final act of respect and honour. Their display of courage, respect and love toward Jesus was all they could offer, all they could bring. Did either of them at this stage fully grasp who it was that they lovingly placed in the tomb that evening? So we read on. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate answered, take a guard. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. The religious leaders, the proud, the haughty, the arrogant, the blind, we look and we say, how could they be so blind, don't we? Yet all around us we see the same, all around us today. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 helps to explain that for, it, for us. It says, the God of this world, who is Satan, Satan himself, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. They cannot see the light of the gospel, the gospel that displays the glory of Christ and Christ who is the image of God. Satan has blinded their eyes. And I guess as we mix with people and attempt to be the people God wants us to be, Sometimes we come across that total blindness, don't we? And as if they are play, playing a game of chess, these guys continue to plot and plan. Their focus is narrow. Unlike Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they choose to ignore and discount any possibility that this Jesus of Nazareth could be the son of their God, Jehovah, as he had claimed to be. They're not even, that's it, 
not interested in knowing anything about that. He's a deceiver. Interesting that a couple of their number, Joseph and Nicodemus, could see the light though, isn't it? The Roman centurion and those under his command at the foot of the cross, the women looking on, Joseph and Nicodemus, all with many thoughts and questions of, who is this man? The religious leaders, the supposed wise and the learned, the clever, the educated, they were oblivious to all that was happening. In chapter 28, we read, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I imagine his arms were crossed. He sat on that stone. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Suddenly lightning appeared before them, brilliant, dazzling light like they'd never seen before a celestial being, an angel of the Lord, fearsome yet calm and composed. You know, the members of the Roman garrison stationed at Jerusalem over those few days were having a pretty torrid few days with the appearance of this amazing heavenly being They all fell down as dead men, paralysed. The ones at the cross realised that this man was very, very, very special, that he was beyond just a man. They said, surely this was the Son of God. These guys paralysed, on the ground. You wonder, I do anyway, how that Roman garrison went for the next few weeks or months. Anyway, there was no floodlights needed this particular morning. There was a blinding, brilliant light what a, what a total contrast to the blackness and the darkness of a couple of days ago. The darkness of sin and satanic evil influences. Yet now there is bright, brilliant light And the angel walks up to the stone which was placed across to the entrance of the already empty tomb. 
He rolls it back and defiantly and triumphantly sits himself upon the rock. He's defying all, including the powers of Satan, including the powers of darkness, to challenge the fact that the tomb is empty. Then the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The women's eyes were open now. Of course. He told us this was going to happen. Duh. Have you ever been there? He told us that he would be killed and that he would rise again, but we didn't want to know. We didn't understand. They could see clearly now, and they ran like the wind, joyous, amazed, yet fearsome, emotions overflowing. And suddenly, there he was, Jesus they fell to the ground before him in worship. Did they yet fully understand the impact of the events of these last few days? Possibly not. To them, he was more than a hero now. He was much more than a very wise teacher. He was more than a physician or a healer. He was much, much more now than an amazing miracle worker. They'd seen him cast out demons. They'd seen him heal the sick, the lame, the blind. But this event turned everything and all of history on its head. Jesus chose to go willingly to the cross. He chose to willingly face the powers of darkness and evil on our behalf. He chose to willingly take the sin and the selfishness and the arrogance and the wrongdoing of the whole world upon his shoulders. He chose to be our substitute. He stood in our place to secure victory over sin and death. And 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 21 tells us about that. He paid our ransom, Ephesians 1, 7. He is our advocate. He stands as a lawyer before God, he is our advocate. 
Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. He is the Almighty, is the Alpha and the Omega, the author of life. He's the bread of life. He's the chief shepherd. He is Christ, our deliverer, Emmanuel. He is a faithful and true witness. He is God. He is the good shepherd, our high priest. He is the holy and the righteous one. He is the great I am. He is the king of the Jews, the lamb of God, the light of the world. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is our Lord. He is the Lord of all. He is the Lord of glory, the man of sorrows, our mediator, the Messiah, a morning star. He is the prince of peace, the resurrection and the life, our saviour. He's the Son of Man. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Word. 2,023 years after this event we've just read about, the light of his love continues to burn brightly in the hearts and minds of his followers. Every single day, people are falling in their faces on their faces before him in the darkest corners of Africa and communist China. In those high apartment buildings where very smart people sit and make lots of money. Every single day people are falling on their faces before him as they repent and are filled with peace and joy discovering his grace and his mercy and forgiveness in their lives. You know, we are the carriers of his love. We are the carriers of his compassion, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness to share and to live out to others that they too may find that perfect joy and peace that he offers. Rejoice! For he is risen. Let us pray. Lord, you are the light of the world. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You're the Lamb of God, our Deliverer, our Saviour. And we fall at your feet this morning in worship and adoration. For without you, there is nothing but darkness. Without you, we live pointless and selfish lives. And Lord, you love the Roman centurion. You love the soldiers, hardened, tough, proud men. You love the rough and the tough. You love those who are meek, mild, the brokenhearted, the sorrowful, the sick and the downtrodden. You love the rich the wealthy, the intellectuals, the highly educated. You love us all. You love those who would have nothing to do with you. You love those who hate you, who scoff and laugh and throw scorn upon you. Lord, not one of us deserve your love. 
But you are a creator, and you long for us to realize who you are. You long for us to repent of our arrogance and selfishness. Lord, we come before you this morning asking you to renew our minds. Invigorate us through your Holy Spirit that we might step out into this world equipped and excited to be your children, knowing what it is to be forgiven, knowing what it is to be free from guilt and pain. Confident and joyful, secure in your arms, our great shepherd, the King of kings. We lift your name high and we thank you for all you've done for us. Amen.